Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. I'm your host, Jason Davies, M-A-O-T-R-L. That just feels so weird to say. You know, you, you write it at the end of your name so often, or M-S-O-T-R-L, whatever it might be, um, C-O-T-A, but to actually say it out loud is just a little weird. Anyways, as you often hear me say on the podcast, school-based occupational therapy is not just about serving the students. It's also about serving the teachers so that they can best support the students. After all, they are with the students a significant amount of more time than we get with our 30 minutes a week or whatever it might be. So supporting the students by supporting the teachers. And that is why in today's episode, I want to introduce you to Dr. Amy Crosby. As part of her OTD capstone, Amy had the idea to support teachers by introducing them to the Kawa model and the associated life metaphors of the water, riverbank, rocks, and driftwood. Through this episode with Dr. Crosby, you'll learn how Amy introduced the Kawa model to her teachers, the impact it had, and how you can even replicate this tier one strategy to support a group of teachers. If you have a deep burning desire to support teachers in order to make changes in the way that they support their students, this episode is for you. I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast, your source for school-based occupational therapy tips, interviews, and professional development. Now, to get the conversation started, here is your host, Jason Davies. Class is officially in session. Amy, welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast today. How are things over in South Carolina? They are wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I, I am so happy to have you here. We're going to be talking about the Kawa model. I really love the Kawa model. I use it both like in my own practice. I use it in my business. And even sometimes it works its way out into real world applications, kind of like what we're going to be talking about today. So so that's exciting to be talking about. I got to say, before we get started, you have some lovely decor behind you and it's completely natural. Um, <laughs> I love the trees. I know people listening can't see it, but uh, share with us a little bit about where you are, where you're located and the surrounding area. Okay. Yes. I'm in the beautiful low country of South Carolina. And it's uh, mid-afternoon. It's a beautiful day today. I think it's um, getting up in the 60s. It's sunny. And I'm in my sunroom, which is my happy place. We'll be talking about power of environment here in a little bit. And um, this is where I get a lot of clarity. I'm closed off. So I have my parameters, but we have a lot of greenery um, in our yard. And yeah, it's a beautiful, sunshiny day here. I love it. Yeah, you've got nice big windows that just open up to beautiful trees outside. I just I, I just want to be in that room right there and just like with a book. Yeah, be so wonderful. Right. <laughs> Thank you. You are here virtually. Yes. Yep. Yep. All right. Hopefully we can bring all the listeners into our nice, calm, wonderful South Carolina space right now. But yeah, uh, yeah wonderful. All right. Well, let's dive into it. I, I You're an occupational therapy practitioner. You just completed your doctorate last year. We're going to talk about the Caldwell model, which you use to do that uh, in a sense. But first, just share with us a a little bit about where you are in your OT world right now. I'd love to hear about that. Okay. Yeah. So I've been an OT for 20 years. And most of that time, like 15 years, I was counting, I've been um, school-based in some way. And so I'll go out. I love to try new things and new settings. So I tend to go out every few years and try a new setting. Mm -hmm. And I always 
um, enjoy that, but it, the school tends to be my happy place. So right now I'm a school-based OT full-time working in a local public school district. I was part-time last year while I was doing my doctorate. I was mm-hmm. blessed enough to be part-time and finish that schooling and then um, started this year part-time and then took on to cover someone's maternity leave. So I'm full-time now. And um, looking ahead at next year, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go part-time again? And Maybe dabble in um, acute care. That's what I'm considering going yeah. back to. I love to change it up. I, yeah. I really love all of the settings. But right now, full-time school-based. That's awesome. You know, just uh, I believe it was yesterday, just posted on LinkedIn about how awesome occupational therapy is kind of for that reason, right? Like mm-hmm. if you get tired or sick of one setting or it's just you're not happy in that setting, there's too many other settings to go try out to stick around and be unhappy. So that's completely mm-hmm. awesome. I love that you kind of take that opportunity to go try out different places. That's cool. Absolutely. I, I love having a um, level two students with me. And I always, um, well, I really will tell anyone who will listen, (laughs) I have, uh, my oldest daughter is 17, so I talk a lot to her friends, and the middle daughter's 15, and then the youngest is 11. They've always been a part of my OT world, of course, but especially with the older ones, we have a lot of conversation about looking forward in their lives, what do they want to do, choose something you love to do, and um, you know, people who are getting, you know, young people getting ready to go to college. I really do. I celebrate our career and educate them about the fact that what you just said, you can choose any setting. And then mm-hmm. as you grow and your, you know, if your family, as you, if you have a family and your family grows, you can adjust and modify your work yeah. to match your family needs. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's we're so blessed that we yeah. chose this. Absolutely. And we have this wonderful model called the Kawa model, which I mean, it's just awesome. And, you know, you talk about that, right? I mean, our skill sets almost act as the driftwood in a way. And we'll talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. You know, our, our driftwood, our skills can knock down rocks and move them out of the way mm-hmm. and open up the river for us. And we have some great skills as occupational therapy practitioners to support us in that. So let's mm-hmm. discuss the Kawa model. You ready? Ready. All yeah. right. So I got to ask, what first got you kind of interested in the Caldwell model? Did you sit in some, you know, professional development course one day where you're reading it in a textbook? Do you learn it in school? What what got you interested in the Caldwell model? Well, I did not even know about the Caldwell model, just full transparency, until I was in school for this post-professional doctorate. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Iwama came to one of our classes virtually and introduced his Kawa model because I graduated in 03 and I think it was developed in 06. So it, it, you know, it wasn't in existence when I was in school, but um, he came and it just, he captivated me. He was on your show. I know. And I listened to that podcast and he's just, his whole manner captivated me, how gracious and humble he is. And, um, and the model I just fell in love with right away. Yeah. Yeah. It was episode 126 and I remember it vividly and he's just a very calm presence. Uh, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like 
so knowledgeable. He wants to just really help with the Kawa model. And so, yeah, I remember learning it briefly in, in my school career, but it wasn't until I have attended a few uh, different professional development courses that I really started to understand its true potential. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. If you're not familiar with the Kawa model out there, if you're listening, go back, listen to episode 126. We'll finish this episode first and then go back and listen to episode 126 with Dr. Awama. It's, it's a really good one. So then what made you decide to take the Kawa model and bridge it with school-based occupational therapy? Because as far as I know, no one's really done that before. Yeah, I know that's correct. And um, Dr. Awama concurs with that. Um, when I was starting, I reached out to him and he was my content expert for this pro- my capstone project. And he said, yeah, to his knowledge, you know, at the time of uh, a year ago, when I did my project, there wasn't a study done using Kawa in um, early elementary education. But I, um, my classmates laugh at me because I said that my capstone project kind of found me instead of me going to find it. <laughs> I guess, like I said, the schools have always been my resting place and teachers have always had my heart. And going into the post-professional program, a lot of people, the capstone is what kind of drew them in to do Mm -hmm. get their doctorate. It wasn't that way with me. It was um, interesting, but also very intimidating because I didn't have a thing. I want to do this thing, you know, and I so I'll go get my doctorate and I can do the thing. And that wasn't the case with me, but I just, it honestly, the opportunity, you know, just for me, I was working, um, all the seeds were planted at all the right times, just different. Mm -hmm. I took, here's, here's the deal. Okay. For um, the greater part of 20 years, I've worked in schools. I come from a family of educators. And so teachers personally and professionally have always had my heart. So I've done like private OT and been the private OT in daycares and private preschools. I've been the school-based OT. I've done, um, I love doing teacher trainings. Mm -hmm. So I've been, you know, the educator for staff, teaching staff, teaching them different things in the scope of OT. And um, I've been in a consultant role. And so I've worked, so I love working with teachers. And I took three years off before and during COVID, not due to COVID. But I took um, the year before COVID, we decided to homeschool our three. And um, and then COVID happened. And we were thankful we'd already decided that. But I was their you know, primary teacher. And I took a break from my professional OT. And um, when I reentered, we went back to main, mainstream traditional school after that three years. And when I reentered, my professional role... Um, I was setting up a training with a preschool director who we've been working together for 15 years. And I went in to visit with her and we met in person and we're so excited to see each other. And she just looked at me um, and said, Miss Amy, it's been, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. And that was the first seed that was planted. I'm like, wait, what's terrible? Um, So I was just so excited to be with her and plan our next training and, she just proceeded to fill me in kind of on what they had experienced the last few yeah. years while I was not there and um, hadn't experienced that in that manner. And that was the first seed that was planted. And then as I reached out and had more conversations and then I, you know, went to work back part time to work mm-hmm. while I was doing my cap, my um, doctorate. 
And that, that was just restated in across the board, you know, consistently among all my teachers. That's why I say it, it came to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just as I was just going through real organically reentering the world, my professional role, I just was so discouraged and sad for them and shocked again and again and again, mm-hmm. you know, going in the classrooms and seeing there, they were just depleted, yeah. just depleted from the last three years. It really had taken like a, a chronic toll on them. So that was the need. It was right in front of me. I mean, I didn't go looking, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was just, it was right there. So I was blessed to be in that position at that time, you know, with this opportunity, Hey, you know, what project do you want to do? But like I said, a couple of years before I, I never had a thing, a project yeah. I was dreaming of, but um, it just, it was right there in front of me. So I was blessed to, have that opportunity. And then uh, learning about the Kawa model, yeah. it, see, it just, um, I felt that would be a nice match for the teachers. I love spreading good news when I do trainings. That's what I feel like I'm doing is just sharing good news yeah. with them that I, I want them to know because it's going to make their life better. You know, that's what I always feel like I'm doing. I'm doing a training. And I had that same feeling with the Kawa model. Like they mm. need to know this. They need to know about it. If they know about it, They'll use it, you know, if they use it, it's going to help them, which is going to help their students. So that's kind of how it started. Yeah. 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 No. And, you know, the call model is so, um, it's so vivid, right? You have the picture mm-hmm. of the river and it's so easy to like understand even just by looking at the pictures even. And mm-hmm. so I think that really lends itself working well. And like the, the case that you're talking about with supporting teachers using the Kawa model, I want to mm-hmm. ask you, did you ever consider using it almost in a way with the students as opposed to the teachers? Or was it always kind of your idea? You know what? I'm just going to go straight to the teachers. Cause I, I can imagine also potentially using it with students. Mm-hmm. I agree. I've focused from thus far on teachers. Mm-hmm. I just, they've just always, like I said, that's always, when I go in a classroom, like I always push in mm-hmm. and I'm always like, what do you need? What can, you know, to the teacher. Yeah. And so I, I really have primarily focused on teacher teachers. The greater part of my caseload right now, I love the preschool world. So they're little. And then my older kids are moderately involved. So, mm-hmm. um, so the, you know, so the, op- the population I'm serving right now wouldn't be able to actively like um, visualize that participate yeah. in the river. I think yeah. with all certain populations, yeah, it'd be great. I've done it with my own children and they're, nice. you know, typically developing um, yeah. children and, and they've enjoyed it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's talk about the needs assessment a little bit. You already, I mean, you kind of front loaded us with this kind of was right after COVID that you were getting back into the schools, starting to have these conversations with teachers. And I think we are all very well aware of the stress that came with COVID and even kind of still continues to this day beyond COVID. And so I I guess as you got started, what was the first part of your capstone project? How did you start to develop the the need for it? What we did was in the fall of 21, we did a needs assessment. And that I did, I, I pulled 
preschool teachers in public and private schools. And I just used a um, red cap survey. It was very simple. It was six questions that all had a branch. So if they said yes, it branched. Oh, okay. And it asked them to rate their, the only one that what didn't branch was to rate their current level of stress on a zero to five, um, five being the most stressed. And then it went on, all the things we've been talking about thus far, um, has your stress increased in the last three years? If yes, why? Um, are there personal factors that affect your level of stress? If yes, why? The same with environmental factors. Are there strategies you use to decrease your stress? If yes, why? And would you be willing to participate in a class to learn more? <laughs> it's a call to action. Yeah. But um, it was interesting. It and then yeah, so that's what I that's what I did in September of 21. Prior to that. I uh, did a literature review, you know, to uh-huh. to dig into what the research, the the existing research out there, and that was interesting because some some key points from that that are relevant, that are so relevant, are that that we know this, we already know this, oh, yeah. but just to see the research, you know, in black and white is so powerful. So we already know this, but the research that students can sense their teacher's stress level and that has a negative um, or positive, yeah, well, a negative if their stress has a negative effect on their learning. There was um, several research articles of the Kawa model being used in interdisciplinary healthcare teams okay. to increase collaboration. And so, you know, based upon that, you could assume, predict that it would also be successful in a in a multi in an I you know multidisciplinary school based team to increase collaboration, which I did get to witness firsthand, you know. <laughs> so it was it was interesting to do the literature review and then to match that up with the needs assessment. And then um, originally I was gonna do my project at the preschool that I spoke about earlier, where I met with the director and she planted that first seed mm-hmm. of what it was really like out there. But um just logistically, once we got into the the nitty-gritty of planning it, it wouldn't line up with they're like they're a half day preschool, the teachers leave right at, you know, when yeah. the kids leave, they don't have planning, they don't have yeah. Um, teacher work days and so we we couldn't fit me in there on a weekly basis yeah gotcha gotcha so I changed to the um, public school where I was working which was a beautiful yeah and and it made the project I think more what the findings of the project more far-reaching it has um 700 to a thousand students at the elementary school and so you know, to do it there, greater population, yeah, yeah. diversity there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, I know we have a lot of OTs that work in, OT practitioners that work in charter schools, private schools, but a majority of us are in that public setting. So it could be more widespread. The, the results mm-hmm. could be used further. Let's talk about some of that needs assessment data a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. My first question is, is, you know, how many teachers were you able to get to to support you with that questionnaire that you sent out? So for the needs assessment in the fall, mm-hmm. that one. So they, um, I had 29 um, teachers filled it out. 
Cool. And for me, which was great. And I, I just sent it out, you know, just word of mouth, like all my my school based OT friends. Please send this to your preschool yeah. teachers. My sister's a teacher. You know, everyone just kind of sent it out for me. Yeah. And it was throughout the state. Cool. And so I was very pleased with that. So yeah. I have 29. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah. Uh, what were some of the key points that kind of came back from that? What did you learn? So what, what I learned was that, that it was really true what I thought was happening, you know, yeah. that, that teachers really were depleted. 20 out of 29 of them reported their stress as being three or higher on that scale of zero to five. So they all, that 20 out of 29 reported they're moderately to highly stressed. Mm-hmm. That same number of them said that their stress had increased in the last three years which is what I had, you know, seen from leaving that world for those three years and coming back. It was, it was so palpable, you know, the difference. So um, the needs assessment echoed that. And when asked why, you know, the question was, um, has your stress increased in the last three years? If they say yes, then why? And four of the most popular answers were um, increased procedures due to COVID, increased demands or expectations, lack of parental support, and high teacher turnover. So um, all things that we know, but just to see it in black and white and concur that was powerful. Yeah, absolutely. um, mm -hmm. I have a question for you because you were doing this right after COVID. How much of this do you think you can contribute directly to COVID versus how much of this is, you know, just how much do you feel is just the day-to-day stuff, COVID or whether whether or not COVID is part of the picture? I mean, mm-hmm. I know you didn't ask this question, but what were you, what was your takeaway? I think the setting schools are they're a beautiful place to be. And I, a lot of a lot of good happens there. Mm-hmm. It's there it is very um hard work. Yeah, that the teachers are doing every day. And, you know, as as OTs, we go in and we support the child in the room or the few children in the room or the many children in the room. And then we leave and go down the hall to the next classroom. And my heart is that's, you know, another reason. Hats off to them because the teacher's in there all day, every day yeah. with those students. And so I think um, at baseline, it's tough. And then you throw in COVID on top of that, and it um, exacerbated all of the stressors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if they were behaviors before, they were heightened. If there oh, were, yeah, definitely. you know, the paperwork, everything just got, um, got amped up, I think, yeah. from COVID, aggravated. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, I'm yeah. right on with you on that one. I, I, I see the same thing. My wife is a, is an educator. And I tell her all the time, I'm like, I I couldn't be in a classroom with 30 kids for the entire day. Like, I just couldn't. Um, I'm very fortunate in the OT space, as many of us are, that like you said, we can we're we're in with one or one or a group of kids for 30 minutes and then we're on to the next group or or individual. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that we have it uh good. And I think it's very important for us to recognize that with teachers and understand that that is a tough situation to be in. And yeah, I think yeah. that kind of leads us to our our next aspect because after you did 
do the the needs assessment, where did you go from there? Did you start to find new participants for your actual workshop? Did you develop your workshop or or where did that where did that lead you? Okay. So after the needs assessment, we had decided it wasn't going to work for me to do the workshop at the preschool that I mentioned earlier because of mm-hmm. logistics. And I was working um, in a public school, elementary school, and they agreed to be the capstone site. Okay. So I was there um, two to three days a week. And it has 700 to 1,000 students and K or pre-K to fifth grade. So there, that became the capstone site. And I gathered my team, my team, I gathered my, my capstone population. It was 10 teachers, well, educators. One was a school psychologist, two speech pathologists, and then seven teachers. And they were all on special education, pre-K through fifth grade. Okay. So that. So the typical population that most of us would be working with in any elementary school. Yes, exactly. Yes. And they were with me through the duration. It was five, the whole process, five weeks. um, And they all 10 out of 10 were there for the, for the duration of the workshop. Gotcha. Okay. So what did the, what did the five weeks just broadly look like really quickly? Okay. So what we did is um, we met every Wednesday. Originally, I wanted to do it for 30 to 45 minutes, but that was pie in the sky and yeah. we had to condense it to 20 minutes and it was it was a very hard start and end times. It was two mm-hmm. to um, it was like right before it was two to 220. Okay. And people would come early a few minutes early, but we started right at two and we ended at 220. Some lingered because I would hang out, but IEP yeah. meetings started at 2.30 uh, and the kids were out of the um, school by one fifty. So that was it. That was the window. You know, that was the one window. But um, but pe- they would, if they didn't have a meeting, we would, you know, we would stay and chat. And um, like I said, some would come early, but it was that hard, hard starting end time. And then I, they all knew that um, I would stay, I would be there again the following day for anyone who couldn't make it. Okay. Yeah. So. All right. So before we get into some of the the pre and post testing, what did the workshop actually come to look like? What was the, what was the ideal message you were trying to get across and how were you trying to get that across? Well, it was, um, it was really cool how we did it. I thought about, I wanted to, my goal was to teach them the Kawa model, the components of it, to teach it to them so that they could, you know, understand it and they could use it to help themselves mm-hmm. and, and ultimately then the children who, who they teach. And, and I thought about doing it a few different ways. I thought originally I was going to do like a, a two hour course and teach it to them. And mm-hmm. I actually tried that. I did. Um, I tried it two different ways, which was very interesting. I tried. I did that. I did a two hour course with um, a group of entry level doctoral students at Presbyterian College here in South Carolina. Uh-huh. And um, it was very well received there. Okay. I, I did it also. I called it a community class and I gathered, um, it was all women from ages like 13 to 70. Oh, wow. And, um, 
I get it was eight to ten of us, and I I tried it on them, and it it what it, it didn't work because and what I kind of um, came to understand from that experience is they just didn't have the foundational knowledge that those uh-huh. entry level OT students did about all the things that I was just ready I was throwing at them like the components of of the river and what they like, what the riverbed stands for and context. Like they don't know what context means when I'm talking, when we're talking about context, you know? So from those two experiences, I realized I I needed to break this down and I wanted to give the participants time in between um, sessions to process everything and do Mm -hmm. and self-reflect. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a, a good move and a necessary move. So we had four weeks of content that delivery. And then the fifth week was feedback and reflection. Um, so in the so we broke down the components of the river model each okay. week. So week one was I just gave them a, I mean, like I said, we had 20 minutes. So mm-hmm. most most of the heavy work of this workshop were was you know was done in between sessions by these individuals but week one i did a very brief overview of like why we're here you know what what is this you know that i was yeah. doing my capstone and all of that and a very a, a overview of the kawa model to so they would kind of know where we're going with this mm-hmm. but um we focused on the water we focused on the river water that first um week and it was it was so fun and amazing because what we focused on i I explained to them the concept um what it symbolizes our life flow and we we really dug into how balanced is our water or imbalanced is our water and i i defined for them so this is back to those like when i did that community class and that otd class these were things that I just didn't anticipate until I had done that community class, mm-hmm. you know, things that I, I needed to explain like this. We're talking about balance. And I explained to them what we as OTs mean when by an occupation, mm-hmm. you know, what I defined occupation to them in our context. And I had them pick, go through a weekday and a weekend day and go through all of their occupations that they could remember you know all go through everything that they did in a day all their occupations and sort them in either productivity leisure or self-care okay put put every occupation each occupation in one of those categories and and look at that and reflect on that so they did that for a weekday and a weekend day that was very enlightening because many 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 most we're um, out of balance, like we all are, yeah. you know, I randomly picked three, everybody, I should have said in the beginning, everybody got a manual, a folder with the materials in it. Uh-huh. And I randomly picked three of those at the end with their permission. And two of the three that I picked and looked at their inventory of their occupations, yeah. their productivity occupations were four times that of any of the other categories. Cause that's, that's, but we know that. Yeah. Sounds you know, like my life. I know. <laughs> I mean, we know that, you know, 
but just to see it and for them, you know, it's powerful. Yeah. It's powerful to see it in black and white for yeah. it was for them and for me too. So yeah. that we called those um, theory application tasks. Like they okay. did that. I went through the instruction. This is what you're going to do, you know, examples of it and defined occupation and define those three categories. Mm-hmm. And um, once I felt confident, they understood what, what they were going to do that week, you know, then they took it and they did that on their own time that week. Another thing they did that week that was enlightening was the um, MOHO, the um, model of human occupation, the role checklist and the interest checklist. Okay. And that was um, powerful for them too, because it had them on the interest checklist. It It's like two pages of, of all kind of um, hobbies. Yeah. You know, all kind of hobby from gardening to uh, drawing. I mean, every hobby. Yeah, yeah. And they go through and literally check in the, I think it's like in the last five years, was this a hobby? Would you like to get into it in the future? It has them just reflect on, yeah, I, that used to be an interest of mine and I'm not doing it currently. Would I like to do it in the future? Mm-hmm. And that was from the feedback from the participants, that was a powerful exercise as well. Yeah. Awesome. So those those three things, the um, ocu- list sorting their occupations, doing the inventory checklist and the role checklist, those were the self-reflective theory application tasks that they did that first week. Gotcha. Okay. And then we and went then, back together. Yeah. Yeah. So then you move on to week two and you, week, uh, yeah. you, what did you, what was the theme for week two and then what was the exercise? So week two was super cool too. This was so fun for us, OT. <laughs> and they loved it too. They loved the FaceTime and the um the fellowship. Yeah. Yeah. So week two was riverbed, our riverbed. Mm-hmm. And week two, so so what I so I defined context, which we as OTs, it's just kind of part of our you know, mental framework. Like it's just, we just think that way, yeah. but it's not for everybody else, you know? So I defined context and how our personal and environmental factors comprise our context. Gotcha. Okay. And this was a super enlightening time that we had when we went over the content um, and then discussions and reflections thereafter. It was very enlightening. And like you talked about where I am right now and the sunroom and the the windows. One thing we did there in person that they reflected on in more depth on their own was, and I had visuals to support this, was um, I wanted them to envision their ideal office. And I wanted them to, in all of the categories of sensation, I wanted them to envision what it looked like. And then I, I showed them examples of classrooms for them. I showed them classrooms that were very visually organized and ones that were kind of a hot mess, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the effect that that had on them. And that generated some fun conversation. You can yeah, imagine. Yeah. And then we went through um, what does it sound like in there and in your ideal office? What does it sound like? You know, do you hear children? Is it utter? Is it loud and chaotic and you can't even hear yourself think? 
Is it totally silent? Do you hear? Like if you could just dream it up, what would your ideal office be where you're most available for creative work? You yeah. know, not where you go to get on the wheel and do rote work, but for creative, fun, inspiring yeah. work. You Which know? That was that was powerful. We went through all that. What would your seat look like? Would it be a yoga chair? Would you have a stand up desk? Would you be on a treadmill? You know, mm -hmm. but just to get them thinking about um, the power of environment. Yeah. So that cool. that was powerful for them. And we talked about their own classrooms and um, they did a lot. There were all of their each of their classrooms were very different per their styles and yeah. the effect that that had on them. And um, and then we also a powerful thing that um, we got great feedback from was our the personal factors affecting our context. And we talked about um, self narratives, the power of um, that we believe the voice we hear most often. We believe yeah. what we um, what we tell ourselves most often. Mm -hmm. And so. Um, we had a lot of great discussion, productive discussion about that. And, you know, back, but to the model, how that affects, they really gained an understanding of how those personal factors and the environmental factors comprise our context, which is the riverbed and how that has such a direct effect on how our life flow, you know? Yeah. 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 So that was week two. And they were just to, um, they didn't have something to turn in, you know, to complete uh -huh. for week two, but to go further with creating their own dream office and further in that. We, oh, another thing we did in that week two was uh, they're supposed to just take some practical steps to um, simplify their environment. So I gave them, I, don't, I think it was 10 or so practical steps steps to simplify their environment and it was things that we had talked about in class in our session but um stuff like minimizing your clutter minimizing your time on social media limiting your news intake minimizing your time with toxic people mm -hmm. you know okay but yeah that was an impactful week yeah yeah Okay, so, so that was week two. Yeah. yeah, week one was the was the water. Week two, the riverbed. I'm assuming we're getting into the rocks and driftwood here in week three. Yeah, week three was rocks and driftwood. So rocks are our problems, quote unquote, our challenges, things that are difficult to us that impede our flow. And then our driftwood are um, the personal characteristics that can be work for us or against us, mm -hmm. but they're you know so unique to us. And so that week, our in-session time was um, we had a case study about a teacher named Sally, and Sally had a lot in common with them, and we discussed Sally. She was thriving in some areas, and then she was struggling in some areas, personally and professionally, and we identified together, we identified Sally's rocks and her river and her driftwood and her river. So we did that together, and then their theory application task that week was to do the same on themselves awesome. to identify some of their rocks and some of their driftwood. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I think we'll go with week four and then we can, when we talk about the discussion or the, the results, we can kind of dive into what some of their driftwood and their, and their rocks were. But yeah. first let's, let's talk about week four. So week four, which is the um, kind of the, a big purpose for the Kawa, how the Kawa model can be used is to, we try to identify spaces, you know, for greater flow, greater engagement and meaningful activity and so week two, we we went during our um, end session time, we talked about Sally, our case study again, mm-hmm. and we created SMART goals for Sally. And, you know, and what was great is since these were all special education educators and professionals, they were familiar with SMART goals from IEPs, <laughs> but they had no trouble with that, you know. Um, with creating the goal. And that was, that was very interesting. We created some for Sally together. Mm-hmm. Of course, that was easier for them than it was to create them for them for, for your own self. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easier to, to do that for someone else than, yeah. than yourself. But um, it was interesting because some of them, just to give you an idea of where they were, um, and their kind of process and what they were learning. One, I was looking through some of my notes, but one, her goal was by March. So that was like, a, she gave herself a month that she would sew five rows, crochet five rows on her blanket. So that was obviously mm-hmm. a hobby that she had maybe put aside, you know, yeah. for a while. And one was, she was going to make a list that she would prioritize her to-do list and just focus and complete three of the top five on her list each day because she was getting overwhelmed. One was that she would um, go to the gym. She was one who realized that she was way out of balance in terms of um, not having any self-care and her, when she took inventory, so she wanted to, um, her goal was that she would go to the gym straight from school. It was either one to two times a week, which was hard because she had a new child at home oh, and yeah. all of that. But they were great goals aimed at increasing the flow of their river or increasing the moving a rock out of the way a little bit or widening the riverbed, you know. Mm -hmm. But that was week four is their theory application task was they would, they created two SMART goals for themselves. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that that goes through most of the content within the Kawa model. So then week five was left for some feedback. Yes. So week five, I um, asked them questions about not not survey questions, not about their stress and all of that. I asked them questions about about the workshop. Was this helpful? Do you think this is something that um, would be helpful to be implemented in the schools? What would you change? And what was the best part? Was there anything you would eliminate? Just mm-hmm. questions like that in terms of the workshop to help me moving forward with mm-hmm. it. You know, if it was something to offer again or to, mo- you know, how to modify it to make it better. Yeah. And, what and they all, everybody 
loved it. We kind of it's it's hard because really all 10 out of 10 loved what they loved about it is what makes it so hard to do, but they loved the in-person aspect because mm-hmm. they loved the um the fellowship, like I said, the the dialogue that was started there. And they loved, they said they loved getting together and and talking and learning and studying something outside of what they do all day, you know? Um, But they wish they had more time. (laughs) I don't know how to fix that, you know, because of the, I mean, within that setting, I don't know how to fix that. Yeah. We talked about different ideas. They say like at a, tomorrow's a staff education day and you know, that we could do one there, but then you're back to doing it all all at once. So anyways, um, it was good conversation. We didn't, it didn't end with, uh, with a nice, neat answer of how to implement it. The whole workshop, the pieces and parts. Yes. Pieces and parts. Yes. And I think that this work, I might be getting ahead of myself, but I do think that, um, this workshop pretty much as it's outlined can can be um, replicated uh-huh. in a, in another school with really good results. It just leaves you wanting more. It does because of the <laughs> content, you know, not and not because of the instructor or the you know the content, and because of the um, the effects, you know, because yeah. you learn things that actually <laughs> do make your life better and it you know do help you do help you to manage to manage in that setting to manage all of your roles and yeah it yeah. makes you make the time yeah so so before we get into that side could I do want to ask you about you know if anyone wants to kind of implement this maybe some tips you have but before that talking about the actual pre-workshop and post-workshop survey, what what were some of the key results that you found from the pre-to-post survey? Okay. So one thing that we found is there was a 10%, but I'll take it, there was a reduction in overall reported stress levels. And that's powerful because... I didn't take any of their work demands off of them. You know what I mean? I Nothing yeah. came off of them. This was actually something additional inserted into their day. It was helpful, but it was work, you know, and then them having, not having, but choosing to make time to do the activities. That was all extra. And um, even in spite of all of that, there was a 10% reduction in stress levels report when you compared the pre and post workshop surveys, there was a greater use of stress reducing strategies afterwards compared to before. So specifically to deep breathing and thought reframing strategies. So meaning the self-narrative, changing that from a negative to a positive, and visualizing the river and the components of the river during the day. So um, 
I should have said that at the end of every session in person, we did a, a stress reducing, we introduced a stress reducing strategy. And when I picked it, I picked ones that, you know, intentionally they could use in their classroom. So, and they were so simple. So the first one, what two of them were um, deep breathing activities with a visual mm-hmm. and um, like one was the rainbow and they, you, it's just pretty and colorful and happy, of course, but you, you trace as you trace over, it has the arrows that tell you like you trace um, left to right and inhale and then you get and you switch rows, you switch colors and you come back on the um, exhale mm-hmm. and you do that through the through the rainbow. Um, we do, did that together. And then now there's rainbows in all of the classrooms, <laughs> really in their calm down corners and and um, stuff like that. But um, we did the deep breathing and we did a visualization one. But I think that, um, so back to the pre and post before in the pre-survey, I think it was one of them, one person reported doing, I'm going to pull it up. One person reported doing deep breathing, and then that went up to four in the end, in the, in the post-survey. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, Okay, so what we found was in the pre-workshop survey, one participant said she used deep breathing to help manage stress. Mm-hmm. After the workshop, four said they used deep breathing. That's that's pretty impressive to me, mm-hmm. you know, very positive. And before the workshop, no participants reported using reframing thoughts, strategies which would be like visualizing the Kawa model as a whole or a component of the Kawa model. Or um, it would also be like changing your self-narrative from negative to positive. Mm -hmm. But none of the participants reported using that pre-workshop. And four of them reported using it after. So those were the two biggest changes and noteworthy changes in terms of um, strategies that they use to manage the stress that I would attribute to the workshop. Also, so in terms of environmental factors in the pre-workshop survey, 60%, so six out of 10 of the teachers reported that there were environmental factors at work that increased their stress. And then after the workshop, that increased to 80%. And I think this points to an increased awareness of what environment environmental factors are. So before they knew they were stressed, but they couldn't perhaps necessarily articulate what was causing that stress in the environment. And they, you know, through the workshop and the study of context and all of that, they gained an awareness of that. Yeah. And as I really quickly, as I as I look at your slide here, the top three factors, environmental factors in your post were staffing issues, student behaviors and paperwork, which, Mm -hmm. you know, some people don't view paperwork as an environmental factor. They might think, oh, that's more of a personal factor. That's something that I'm not good at. It takes me personally a long time to do paperwork. 
But in reality, mm -hmm. that can be an environmental factor related to your specific job. It's not a you thing. It's a your job thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Their personal factors um, listed were anxiety and depression. That was listed both pre and post. That's not not changing. You know, we mm -hmm. can't change that. Um, feeling overwhelmed and being worried about children and family. So those are factors definitely unique to the person. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So at the end of the day, what are your thoughts on this? Just kind of in general, like, is this something that you hope to do again? Are you already doing it again? Are you still using what you learned in your everyday practice? Just kind of overall, what, what were your takeaways? So I would love to do this again. I would, I've thought of a few different things, but what has happened thus far is we've kept the language going. Because mm -hmm. you still work at the same school, right? Yeah, I'm at the same school. 10 out of 10 of us are still there. No, 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. <laughs> the two speech therapists left. 8 out of 10 of us are still there. And the language is, go is definitely still going. The deep breathing is still going. I learned that if I, this is some powerful takeaways. Teachers will utilize strategies if they can use them for the children in their classroom. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it, um, you know, like with the rainbow breathing, when we, that's a, that's just a prime example. It helped the teachers manage their stress, but they use, I mean, immediately their first response was, Oh, I'm printing that out for my, for my classroom. And that's their buy-in almost. That's my, that's my way in, you know? Yeah. It's, and, it's funny. Cause we, we, we do more for others than we do for ourselves and we want to take care of the kids that we serve. So if we do it for them, we're more likely to do it for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's important. When I think about reaching a teacher, I need to do it where she or he understands that it'll ultimately help the, the, their students. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then I have their buy-in. Same with strategies when we, when we go in the classroom, you know, and we're like, what Johnny needs to be set up on an angled surface and that'll help his grasp or Sally needs to have this visually blocked over here. And, but, but when they, um, when the, when we get buy-in from the teacher, because she sees the effectiveness of that strategy, you know what I mean? That's when she's going to use it, you know? So it's the same with this. When she or he sees that, um, oh, yeah, if I learn this and I can model it for my students, you yeah. know, I'll do it. I'll do it. But um, so so the language has still is going. I've um, I've learned. It's just reminded me of the OT. I do think that um, what I learned from this is it's different than when I went into OT in the schools. I didn't anticipate kind of serving teachers in this way, you know, because what we think of with school-based OT are, is all of the fine motor, visual motor, sensory processing strategies and services to help the student. 
and not, I mean, I know we've always, we support the teacher and we work alongside the teacher and we're professional partner, partners with them, but um, to, to serve the teacher in this way is, is a different kind of um, addition to our OT role that I think is, is definitely um, worthy of studying and highlighting and continuing to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why that's one of the reasons that I am so particular. You'll often hear me either say it here on the podcast or my emails that we are there to serve both students and teachers. It's not just students. It's not just the teachers. We're really there to support all of them. Um, And that's why I really wanted to have you on today to really talk about how you serve the teachers. Because as you mentioned, you know, way back when we got started in that literature review, it's not new to understand that if teachers are feeling good or feeling supported, if they're, you know, de-stressed, then they're going to help the students improve more. And so by focusing mm-hmm. in on the teachers here, you have probably made a big difference. I know we can't quantify it, but you've you probably have made a difference on those students that, that have been able to learn. So that's quite, quite a feature. So um, quick question. Have you mm-hmm. seen any of the teachers mention the Kawa model, use the Kawa model, like in their classroom at all with the kids particularly or not yet? Not directly. No. And again, my, my class, my, my classrooms that I serve are um, a lot of the preschool and then um, the, the moderate severe classrooms. So um, no, not directly. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder too. I mean, like the you you said you mentioned you worked with like the school psych was part of it as well as the the speech therapist, and I could definitely see, especially maybe a speech therapist kind of working on that during a session or something. But no, that that's super cool uh, that that you were able to get through the, to all the staff. Um, before we wrap up here, really quickly, some quick tips that you might have for anyone who might be interested in kind of running this type of a group with their teachers at their school sites? I guess my first thing I would say is it's doable and it's worth it. Yeah. And a starting place. I mean, we've been thinking of other timeframes, but in the day, in the school day where you can capture all of those people. And I just, if you find one, email me because we can't find it. But um, (laughs) It's true. You know, so I would just say start with what you have and you don't have to have it is so much content, but a lot of it is done individually. You know, one, you just do it on your own individually in between sessions. So this is a great starting place. 20 minutes, four weeks, five, if you know, for that feedback week. And it really the it's worth it and it's doable is what I would want to say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, your your capstone project is available. And so anyone can go and read your capstone project for a little breakdown of how you did it. And then mm-hmm. there's so many YouTube videos about the Kawa model. If you need to learn more about it, you can also go to kawamodel.com to learn more about the Kawa model. So if you're not quite familiar with it yet, you can definitely learn more about it before you try something like this. Completely agree when it comes to working with teachers and providing like training to teachers shorter is better. Um, even 20 minutes is hard to get time for. So um, kudos to you for finding that 20 minutes, you know, for, for five consecutive weeks, because that is definitely not easy. I do have one final question, I think. 
And that mm-hmm. is in regards to the administrator. I know that the administrator was not necessarily part of your research, but the, did they have any thoughts either before or after you completed this? They were just consistently supportive. It's one principal and two assistant principals, and they were just consistently supportive. And they would ask for updates of how my project was going. They were, when I couldn't even get the question out initially to ask the principal, can I, I was telling her I'm in school and I have to do this, you know, and before I even get up, she was like, yes, have it here. We'd love to be your capstone site. So just from the very beginning, um, very um, welcoming, encouraging, supportive. Um, yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's great. Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. I'm really looking forward also to uh, to catching up with you maybe a year from now and seeing if you've had a chance to to run it back with the teachers and what they've learned, or maybe you find a new group of teachers to try it out. Um, I personally would love to to see you retry this with the general education teachers, and maybe if it's maybe it's just like the first grade team, or maybe it's just the kindergarten team, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see what could even even come of that, that'd be fantastic. Um, any, any final words you'd like to share? Um, no, I just, um, I do think there, I do think there's little pieces of this that could be embedded in the school. That would be something else if, if someone else wanted to do a workshop like this, you know, how just visuals like at the, in the teacher's lounge or at the water fill up station. Um, visuals or um, of pictures of the river like once we once you do the workshop to have um, a visual on the bathroom door there's I I have memorized this there's a um, the positive affirmations that are on the bathroom doors when I see them and so that's the power of them so like it works you know what I mean and um so I think it little pieces and parts along the language will stick. And then there's those visuals that you could put up throughout the school that would add another layer of keeping the 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 culture going, you know, mm-hmm. the Kawa culture going. And um and I also thought of like a water relaxation station type place where you could go and have maybe the like the dream machine you know, the sound of a river mm-hmm. and the positive affirmations posted on the wall. So I think that's another layer that you could do post-workshop to keep the effects going, you know? Very cool. But I would love any any questions or any communication I have. Are you, do we put my email? Go ahead and up? share it here really quickly, and then we'll okay. also, yeah, we'll share okay, it. Okay, so it's um, Crosby Coastal Therapy. Crosby as my last name, Coastal, because I'm on the coast, therapy at yahoo.com. Perfect. But, um, and yeah, reach out. I'd yeah. love to chat about it. Yeah, we'll share that on the show notes for the episode, as well as a link directly to to the Kawa model website, as well as your capstone project. So anyone who wants to to take a read through or ponder through it can absolutely uh, learn more about it and, and reach out to you. So great. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. It's been great talking and we'll definitely uh, stay in touch to learn more. So thanks okay. again. Thank you. I've enjoyed this. Thank you once again for tuning in to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. And thank you so much to Amy for sharing about how she used the Kawa model to support teachers. 
If you would like to learn more about the Kawa model, be sure to go back and listen to episode 126 of the podcast with Dr. Iwama. He is the founder of the Kawa model, and we dove into all the different parts of the model from the river to the riverbank to the driftwood and the rocks and how that really can apply to school-based occupational therapy. And I really think that there are more school-based OT practitioners that are starting to use the Kawa model, especially as we dive into the world of mental health. I can't wait to hear how you implement the Kawa model in your practice now that you have a little bit more information. Thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate you and I'll see you next time. Take care, school-based OT crew. Thank you for listening to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. For more ways to help you and your students succeed right now, head on over to otschoolhouse.com. Until next time, class is dismissed. Thanks again for listening to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. The OT Schoolhouse podcast is produced by myself, Jason Davies, with support from Chandler Sarkozy. The podcast is edited by James Endo. While we strive to provide accurate and up-to-date information, the content shared in this episode is intended for informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you or a loved one would benefit from occupational therapy services, we recommend consulting with a qualified occupational therapist or healthcare provider for your personal guidance. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the OT Schoolhouse. Remember, your safety and well-being are important, so please use discretion and seek appropriate support when implementing any strategies or recommendations discussed. If you would like more individualized support as a school-based occupational therapy provider, check out the OT Schoolhouse Collaborative at otschoolhouse.com collab, where you can earn professional development, access our interactive goal bank, and interact with myself and other school-based OT practitioners. I appreciate you. See you next time.